does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Joining us now in the program. Now, guys, I'm going to try to keep my composure, okay? I've done this a long time. I've broadcasted a long time. I've interviewed a lot of athletes. I probably should not right off the top admit to Aaron Neesmith that Mike Preston, I think even Kevin Pritchard knows that Aaron Neesmith is my favorite player on the Pacers. And he joins us on the program <laughs> right now. Uh, now, Aaron, you are in Boston, obviously. I- I'd like to know where you are right now. Are you in the locker room, bowels of shoot-around, hotel, uh, coffee uh, store, cheers, in, where? We're back in the hotel room. We're back in the hotel room. Okay. Um, so first things first. Uh, aside from I hope it doesn't make you uncomfortable that I just admitted that you're my favorite Pacer player, and I'll explain why in a second. Uh, is it weird to be back in Boston where your career began and where kind of it not no fault of yours nor the Celtics, they're just rotationally, you know, it was tough for you to get footing and then they send you here and obviously we've seen what happened. But take me through the emotions of being in Boston. Um, I mean, I still got a bunch of like friends who, who, uh, who live here, so it's always a – Good time coming back to the city, get to see the old friends and hang out with them, go get dinner and stuff. So it's always a pleasure to come back to the city. Okay, so you you now, you know, and you're playing very, very well. And this is what I, I like about you, and I want you to expand on this, Aaron Neesmith. I think you're over like 16 and a half a game over the last, you know, several weeks for the Pacers. You've had to kind of play different roles. You're like a Swiss Army knife. Sometimes you're playing at the two, sometimes you're guarding at the three, sometimes you're guarding at the four. Um have you? How have you been able, I guess, to embrace the versatility with which Indiana has requested you to play, and the different factors from game to game of the ways you need to contribute? Uh, I mean, it's just been it's been fun. Like it just keeps it keeps every day interesting. Um, it keeps me sharp. It makes it requires me to be on top of my game at all times. Um, you know, know the game plan inside and out, and. Um, you know, whenever we make adjustments in the middle of the game, it's just like I got to be prepared for it because I could be guarding one through four at any point in time. I got to know their tendencies, know what they like to do. Um, and just knowing any way I can help the team is, you know, it's fun for me. Here's what, Aaron, this is what I love about Aaron Neesmith, okay? And then I want you to kind of expand on on the mindset. And in particular for people that are listening right now that might be high school players, the mindset of this, okay? You grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, or just outside Charleston, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You were, what, like a three-time state champion and player of the year in South Carolina? Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yes, sir. So you you develop yourself to the point where then you start getting late scholarship offers. You commit to Vanderbilt. I believe it was Bryce Drew and Jerry Stackhouse. You might have played for both there. but, But you were a designated shooter you were a scorer and most guys in the nba everywhere they've played they're the best player to have played at that school they were the leading scorer they were the guy you're not the leading scorer and the guy for the indiana pacers night in and night out not saying you can't be but was it challenging and where was the evolution and the maturity for you to change your game from being the number one scoring option to somebody who contributed in different facets in different ways? Um, 
I would say definitely like my time in Boston for sure. Like, you know, I never didn't really get the minutes, um, you know, that I would have liked, didn't get to play every game. And, you know, they would randomly toss me in here and there, depending on matchups or if guys got injured. Um, and so it really taught me like to do whatever I can to impact winning that will allow me to stay on the floor. And that's not always scoring. Sometimes it's it's defense, it's offensive rebounds. It's just doing the little things that, you know, a lot of people don't like doing. And during my time here, that helped me realize that, helped, like, integrate that into who I am as a player. And then when I got to Indiana and I got to play and do more and had more responsibility, um, I made it a point to myself, like, all right, I can play now, I got minutes now, but I'm not going to lose that identity part of my game because that's so important to winning. And at the end of the day, winning is what we're here for. It's what we're here to do. Um, and you've got to make winning plays. Aaron Neesmith is our guest. Aaron, it feels like you guys are starting to turn a corner post-Pascal Siakam trade. Well, when a player is traded in the NBA, especially midseason, how – what are the challenges that you face with trying to get things gelled together, not just in a timely fashion because you want to stack as many W's as you can, but also in a way that you don't rock the continuity you had before the trade? Uh, I mean, with a dude like uh, Pascal, it makes it easy because he's a phenomenal basketball player. Uh, he's played for a long time, and so integrating him into a new system. He's played for multiple coaches, um, and so like for him to make the change is pretty not too hard also because he's he's a great person he has great character and he he's for the team um so he definitely came in with an open mindset and it was pretty easy to just integrate him talk to him and if he had any questions he asked like it was it was a pretty smooth sailing you know with a guy like that Aaron that you acquire you know we as fans media guys you know guys taking tickets at the game everybody's curious when players like that come whether or not they're going to resign. And I know for you guys it's a business and you understand that from player to player, but do you occasionally give like how much is that discussed amongst teammates and do you do you occasionally give Pascal Siakam almost maybe in jest a sales pitch as to why he needs to stay here? <laughs> uh, I mean, I I wouldn't say we really talk about it cuz like that's not like as a team and as teammates, our concern is, you know, who we play that night and how are we going to win this game tonight? Um, what do we need to do? Put matchups, assignments, talking on the floor, um, and then like having fun off the floor, um, getting to know each other. We don't really talk about that stuff, I'd say. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When you guys have gone through the last few games, Aaron Neesmith of the Pacers is our guest. He's in Boston Pacers and Celtics tonight from Beantown. Um... I've been I've been very impressed over the last couple of games with Tyrese Halliburton out. Looks like that's going to come to an end. He's going to be back on the floor. But can you discuss a little bit? We talked about it with Miles Turner yesterday. How do how are things different when Andrew Nemhard is is running the point 
and because he he's very versatile in the backcourt. But does it change at all the tempo, the style, the timing of the way you guys play? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, they're not the same player, and the way that they run, um, you know, the offense and our pace is definitely different. And you have to have a good feel for playing for playing both their styles of games. Um, and so it's obviously great to have Tyrese back. We need him. We miss him. Um, and I'm excited and I'm looking forward to being able to run alongside him again. Aaron, going back to the college days, just because you went to Vanderbilt and their arena always fascinates me with the raised court and the benches <laughs> being on the you know uh, end lines instead of on the sidelines. When when did you, I guess, first go to or see Vanderbilt, whether it was as a high school player or whether it was in your younger days? And what was your initial reaction to their setup there at Vandy? Uh, I went when I was well, 17. And I actually, the city of Nashville, I didn't know what to expect. I actually thought it was going to be more rural for some reason. And then when I got there and there were skyscrapers and lights everywhere, um, it kind of grabbed my attention. Um, cause Charleston is not like that. Charleston is more of a town in Nashville, the city. So that was the first thing I noticed. And then when I pulled up to campus and I saw the court, uh, it was kind of like a stage, like it was raised. The seats went below it. So people are eye level with the floor and it just felt like I was on a podium getting able to being able to play this game. Um, so I just I loved it. Now, Aaron, I had a couple of friends from high school who obviously were far more academically accomplished than myself that went to Vanderbilt. It's one of the elite academic institutions. Uh, all Every one of them came back freshman year of college wearing cowboy hats and cowboy boots from like, you know, they got they got sucked into like, you know, the, the whole Opry lifestyle. Do you own either yeah. cowboy boots or a cowboy hat? I do. I own two pairs of cowboy boots. I <laughs> that, did. I, I, I caved in Nashville. <laughs> and they're, people tell me they're like the most comfortable things ever once they get broken in. True? I don't wear them enough. So I couldn't tell. I literally got them. Like, you can't go to Nashville. You can't live in Nashville and not own at least one pair of cowboy boots. So one day I went and got some, and I wore them maybe like twice in about – Maybe like five years. <laughs> so am I correct in saying that when you went to Vanderbilt, Aaron Neesmith, it was Bryce Drew that got you there. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Right. I was They were for one year with Bryce and then one year with Jerry Stack. Okay. So Bryce Drew is an Indiana Mr. Basketball. You know, I'm sure you're aware of that. And then in Boston, yeah. you also played with another Indiana Mr. Basketball and Romeo Langford. So I wanted to ask you real yeah. quick just for our audience about those guys. Uh, take me through Bryce Drew, just w- what you learned from him when in the year that you were under him. Uh, I mean, the way the way Coach Drew ran his team was great. I, I enjoyed playing for him, um, and he he was a big. He really preached team chemistry and being close off the floor. He would invite us to his house all the time, and just make sure we bonded. Um, and that's kind of how he his approach to the to coaching was, was just making sure we're all as close as possible. Um, and then Romeo, Romeo's. <laughs> One of the funniest people I've actually ever been around. He's always cracking jokes. He's always making sly comments. Um, he was, he's, a, he's a joy to be around. Did you get the impression with Romeo Langford, you know, because he was kind of in the same spot as you, right, where you guys just rotationally, a lot of talent in Boston at that time. Do you think it frustrated him? I mean, it's frustrating for any player to be in that situation. And that's something, you know, like being in that situation together, obviously we have conversations and – um, you know, try and talk talk to each other, try and get each other through it. 
Um, but yeah, it's frustrating for any player to be in that situation. Now, you talked about team chemistry, Aaron Neesmith, our guest. You guys with this group, and I've watched a lot of Pacer teams, you seem to have it. Now, I'm not in the locker room. I'm not in the St. Vincent Center You know, when you guys are, are away from the court. But is that a safe assessment? Take me through just kind of the chemistry of this particular Pacer team versus maybe other teams in the NBA from what you can tell. Uh, I personally think this is the best locker room I've been a part of. Um, everybody 1 through 15 genuinely enjoys each other. Everybody can crack jokes with 1 through 15. Everybody does, like everybody will talk to 1 through 15. Everybody knows every like a decent amount of everything in their family life, social life, personal life about each other. I think the, the locker room that we have right now, um, we everybody genuinely wants to see each other succeed and it's been a joy to be in this locker room this year. Now, if you were to come into the locker room, Aaron, and notice that like somebody's rearranged your locker or your shoes are missing and you realize that a prank has been pulled, the player that is most likely to be the culprit of pulling that prank is who? Oh, man. Hmm. Obi. I'm going to go Obi. Yeah, he seems like he's got kind of like a little bit of a kid persona in him, right? Like yeah. a lighter-spirited guy. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Okay, now when you're you're in a team meeting, things are tense. You're going over film that, that, that you know, isn't a good game, and, and Rick Carlisle leaves the room, and now it's just the locker room, and everybody's sitting there, and finally somebody, like, cracks the joke that – and every team has this, right? The guy that just kind of knows exactly when to bring the levity and get everybody loose again. That guy's who? Probably Buddy. <laughs> I knew – for whatever yeah. reason, I could tell you were going to say – like, it just seems that way from the outside yeah. looking in. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. How can leadership, Aaron Neesmith, how can leadership be defined – or take me through how leadership can can be defined by exactly that, by being somebody that knows what players and what teammates need versus just going out and scoring and, and doing that. Does that make sense, what I'm asking? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say um, I had this conversation with James Johnson maybe a couple, couple of games ago. I think one of the best qualities about being a leader on, in a, on a team or at work or whatever – whatever the case may be in any team situation is you got to understand and know not everybody responds to things the same way. You got to know how to talk to certain people, like certain people you could yell at and motivate them and other people, you got to pull them to the side and have a, have a softer conversation with them in order to get them to, to do better or see whatever you're trying to make them see. Aaron Neesmith is our guest. Aaron, we had Miles on yesterday. Jake asked him about team flights, what he's doing in between games, and he mentioned that he's a big Nintendo Switch guy, and he dropped Smash Brothers, which is generally a game that you're going to play with a bunch of people. Do you partake in that at all, or is that just a just a Miles thing? Like, do you do you get down with Smash Bros? I mean, I play. I do. I have a Switch, and I I'm a big Switch guy too. I actually bring I bring it on every road trip, but I don't play uh, too much Smash. What's your game? What's your go-to? Um, I, I'm a big Mario guy. All right. <laughs> All Mario games, Pokemon games, definitely my my speed on Nintendo. Now, what's the one that you two guys play? Rocket League. It's fine. D- Aaron, Rocket League, are you familiar with this? I do know Rocket League. I'm no good at it, though. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, the, these guys are... <laughs> Jimmy and Eddie apparently play it like on a nightly basis. I personally consider that really lame, right? But yeah. um, 
Aaron Neesmith, our guest. Okay, Aaron, before we let you go, I, I want to get a couple of questions for people to get to know Aaron Neesmith because I got a feeling you're going to be in the city a long time. You ready? Yes, sir. Okay, the first one's this, and I'm very nervous about this um, because I have a definitive answer for myself, and you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to think less of you. When you were growing up in Charleston, I'm assuming, like most kids, from a football standpoint, it was either South Carolina or Clemson for a lot of the yeah. kids that you ran around with. You favored yep. which of those two teams? Neither. <laughs> okay, that, that's fair. So who was your team? Like, you were growing up, who was the team that made Aaron Neesmith cry when they lost games? I actually never really liked college sports. I always looked towards the uh, pros. Okay, so, so your team then was who? The, the Carolina Panthers. Okay, that's fair. That, that's understandable. Yeah. Right now we're going through it. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> yeah. here we are talking about teams that make you cry in your 20s, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's cool. Okay, secondly, um, you know, Indianapolis obviously in the summertime, and I realize in the off season you probably are traveling or maybe going back to South Carolina, but – if you were in Indy with the number of concerts that come through this city, the one artist that you would most want to see perform live would be who? Uh, probably Lil Baby or I'm going to say Luke Combs because I feel like seeing a country artist in, in Indy would be a good time. Now you Surely you saw plenty of them in Nashville, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking Indy would be also another good city to see. You, know, you could actually, break the cowboy boots hey, back listen, out for that, your, too. Your former yeah, teammate yeah. <laughs> Bruce Brown was a big country music guy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, uh, how about this? The last book that you read or enjoyed would be what? Uh, Unbroken. It's a, it's a real story. It's about a World War II veteran who got captured by the uh, captured by the Japanese. And Aaron, I, I'm not kidding you. The story. Uh, true story. Yesterday, I I was talking to my eighth grade English teacher about books, and she said she likes nonfiction. And I'm like, "Have you read this?" And I, it, the story of Louis Zamperini. Really? I'm not kidding you, Aaron. Yeah. I read that book in like three days. Yeah, yeah, it's a good book. It was like binge. It was like binge watching a TV show. It was like four in the morning, and I'm like, I gotta go to bed, but I gotta get a chapter in, right? <laughs> yeah, and I don't like reading either. And uh, my agent sent it to me, and I just. I picked it up. Fine, I was bored. I picked it up, and I just couldn't put it back down. Okay, last one. Read. <laughs> well, I, listen, it was a, it's a great book. The story yeah. of Louis Zamperini, who was a track star and then later was captured by the Japanese in World War II after like 59 days in a raft. Yep. Truly remarkable. Uh, you have or have not been to the Indianapolis 500? I have. Okay. Oh, you, no, no, I have not. I've not. I've been, to, I've been to the track several times. I haven't gone to the event. But you like the track, right? Yeah, yeah, and I've been to uh, an F1 race there, I believe. Um, the man, what's that? I don't know if that's what it's called. I don't know if that's what it's called, but I've been to a race there. It just wasn't the Indy 500. Yeah, okay, so it was probably one yeah. of the IMSA races on the road course. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, best restaurant in Indianapolis that if you just want to get away and you're like, you know what, that food is really good, would be what? Um, I kind of like, I like sauce on the side. Nice, nice. All yeah. right. What about in Boston? Like, do you like right now? What's the day look like before you get go to the arena? You just hang out and play Mario, or like, what do you do? Yeah, pretty much. I just watch TV shows, play on my Xbox or PlayStation for a little bit, um, and take my nap. I try. I try to never leave my hotel or my room on game days. I stay in bed all day till game. Napping is very underrated, man. Very underrated. Very underrated. <laughs> uh, okay. 
more exhilarating, hitting a three at the end of a shot clock possession or drawing a charge on a player that turns the game a little bit? Drawing a charge. Give me the charge every day. <laughs> yeah, you were demonstrative <laughs> about that the other night, yeah. man. You know? Yeah. Hey, you so, guys got it rolling and you know, Boston tonight, then New York, right? Before you come back and yep. face Sacramento. Yep. All right. Well, Aaron, listen, we appreciate the time today. Certainly enjoy your nap and then best of luck tonight taking on your old team in the Boston Celtics. And I know JMV, our coworker who had you on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll say the same thing. You are welcome back on these airwaves anytime you want, and we'll even play some country music for you. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. You guys have a good one. I appreciate that. Aaron Neesmith of your Indiana Pacers. Good stuff there. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Joining us now on the program, though, he is a national writer from The Athletic. He has been busy covering the AFC playoffs, so I will allow Zach Kiefer to list off for us the specific games of the postseason where he has been. So, Zach, with that, thanks for joining us, and recap for us the games you've seen in person. Well, it started with the coldest game I've ever been to in my life. Uh, AFC wildcard round in Kansas City between the Dolphins and Chiefs. I mean, Jake, I, we've all covered cold games. I've been to blizzards in Buffalo. That was a different level. So the last couple of weeks in Baltimore have been relatively nice. Uh, watched the Texans go down last week and then watched the Chiefs go into Baltimore for the AFC Championship game on Sunday and play lights out for about a quarter and then kind of just hold on the rest of the way. So I've been doing AFC and we'll head to Vegas in seven days. Okay, so before we get to the games themselves and, you know, just the Super Bowl, Zach, you know what I'm going to ask you, and I, I apologize that I had not responded to you, but you and I share, as I think a lot of people do, an appreciation for what I believe to be the greatest television show ever done, which was The Wire, which was, of course, set in Baltimore and is loosely based on real situations in Baltimore about gangs and drug trafficking and police activity and crimes in Baltimore. And you managed to, as an enthusiast of the show, intertwine it with your job in football, correct? Yeah. I mean, I've written about some wild stuff. You know, the mobster I wrote about that hid in Indianapolis for 10 years from his father, who was a notorious gangster. That comes to mind. But this was, this was almost on par. This was a, you know, a, a man serving a life sentence in prison for his gang-fueled youth in Baltimore in the 1980s, reaching out to me about five or six years ago via email from prison, um, wanting Colts news, right? And I was covering the team at the time, and what struck me at first was he couldn't handle any links. He said no links. He couldn't get on the Internet like the rest of us. So I had to copy and paste the words, and, and after a while I put it together that he was in prison. And Honestly, this man has completely transformed his life. He works as a mental health advocate. He works with some of the most at-risk you know, prison releases um, in his area. And he was released from jail in, in July. And he was able to save enough money to come up to a game December 31st when the Colts beat the Raiders. And I kind of spent the day with him, you know, what it was like for him going to a Colts game for the first time in 40 years. So just an unbelievable story. And, you know, I don't think Chris Ballard would mind me sharing the the fact that as soon as the story was posted, Chris texted me within an hour and said, 
you know, I want to get this guy's number. I want to reach out to him. I want to do more. So um, just kind of an unbelievable story that came to me. Which is, and you know what, Zach, here's what's fascinating, and this is what I appreciate about your work, but I think you'll agree with me on this. We, we oftentimes focus so much on the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allen, the Andrew Lux of the world. But sometimes the very best stories are those from the people that we that the guy walking the street has never heard of before. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and honestly, Jake, that's kind of my favorite part of the job is is finding the stories no one's heard of. And I know you love this, and you talk about these stories on your show a lot. And and I tell my students as I teach a class down at IU, and you know we love Josh Allen and we love Patrick Mahomes, and, and I wrote about Mahomes on Sunday because he was you know what he's doing is unbelievable, but. Everybody has a story. Like, everybody has a story. Some are better than others, but you know, that's the coolest part about the NFL is there's 53 guys in every locker room and there's 53 different stories. But beyond that, fans sometimes have amazing stories, and sports are sort of the prism that brings us all together, but it doesn't mean we just have to write about the players and the coaches. Yeah, nothing unifies the masses like sports. I mean, there's no doubt about that, right? Um, Zach Kiefer, our guest from The Athletic. Okay, Zach, let's talk about the playoffs themselves, I, I guess the first would be since you have done multiple games involving Kansas City, we focus so much on Patrick Mahomes, but has there been anything as you've covered the games that you have noticed about Kansas City that you were unaware of just in terms of maybe their structure, the way they go about things, whatever it may be, what have you learned about the Chiefs in this process? So I've covered a lot of Chiefs games this year randomly. I actually covered them in Germany as well, and and I don't think this is necessarily their fault, but Andy Reid talked about something fascinating on Sunday night. He said, look, like the mental toll of these long seasons, it's a real thing. And I think the Patriots dealt for this for a while. Remember, they would play pretty mediocre football early in these seasons after their Super Bowl runs. And I think you know, Kansas City was not a very good team at, at the midpoint of this season and even late. I mean, they had a really bad Christmas Day loss to the Raiders um, that, that was five of eight losses for the Chiefs we're talking about, mid-dynasty. And, you know, that's mediocre football for a lot of teams. That's terrible football for them. What was wrong? We all know about the drops by the receivers. And, you know, Kelsey was showing his age. And from the minute that Travis Kelsey ran onto the field when it was 27 degrees below zero in Arrowhead against the Dolphins for that first playoff game, it was different to me. I don't cover the team every day, but – this dude was amped. He was ready. And that energy has been palpable every step of the way in these playoffs. And you talk to the Chiefs players, and Kelsey's just been lighting them up in practice. Like, the energy and the competition is there. And you need that guy to give you that juice. And I think, I think Travis Kelsey saw it as a challenge. That was Patrick Mahomes' word, like, oh, the Chiefs can't do it away from Arrowhead, right? You've got to find these little challenges, these little doubts after you've climbed the mountain so many times. You've got to find new ways to refuel you. And I think that was true for Mahomes and Kelsey because, look, this team with this defense, as good as this defense is, they only need like four to eight ridiculous plays on offense. I mean, they only scored 17 points on Sunday. They didn't score in the second half. And they won the AFC Championship game, partly because Mahomes and Kelsey were so good early. And when you have two guys who – I mean, let's be honest, they might go down as the best to ever play their respective positions. That's enough. I mean, some of the stuff they were doing early against a really good Baltimore defense was just crazy at this level of the season. So they've been revived with Kelsey playing better in the playoffs. Mahomes is always great. 
and the defense is just unbelievably consistent. Zach Kiefer is our guest. Zach, people know that I'm a Chiefs fan, so I'm not going to sit here and, and glow about them as a biased party, but someone that's a neutral, that does great work nationally for the Athletic and his piece as regular season slog gives way to Super Bowl run. Patrick Holmes remains inevitable. You can find that on the Athletic. Did anything surprise you in those conversations post-game with General Manager Brett Veach, with Defensive Coordinator Steve Spagnolo, with Jason Kelsey? Like, did anything about not just where they were as you highlighted in December, losing five of eight, but just this run in the playoffs and the team they are now going into the Super Bowl in about two weeks. Anything about that story and the making of it surprise you? No, that's a good question because I've really enjoyed getting to go into different locker rooms this season and different teams at different stages and, and getting to talk to different players and I walk out of there admiring the Chiefs, to be honest. Like, look, I'm objective and I'm unbiased, and I don't care who wins, Ravens or Chiefs, but you watch you know, Andy Reid get up there and you talk to Brett Veach and you talk to Clark Hunt, and it's really hard at that level to sustain that. Like, one of the Chiefs players, now he's a rookie, Rasheed Rice, and he's played great. He's like, look, man, like, we, we're the team everybody is after. Like, that's really hard to – sustain that and they have all these night games and you're going to get everybody's best shot and this is what Peyton and the Colts dealt with back when they were running and and this is what Brady and the Patriots dealt with and it's really hard to sustain that and to to stay on top I mean a lot of these champions will tell you that and the fact that they were left for dead in late December right I mean they kind of were like Miami and Buffalo was hot and the Ravens were as complete as any team we've seen in the regular season I mean they went to San Francisco and routed them. They beat the crap out of the Dolphins. Like the Chiefs were an afterthought, and and you forget about how good Mahomes and Kelsey are. But sort of the mental resolve to get back to where they were. I I was in the locker room and I was looking for something different, right? And the cigar smokers everywhere, and and the music is loud, and all these guys are dancing. And I thought to myself, where's the quarterback? Like where's the guy that changed this franchise forever? And Mahomes is off in a corner sitting to himself, just kind of like exhaling in relief. And he's looking at his phone. He's got this little grin on his phone. And I just, it just stood out to me, like the toll that it takes to get to these moments when you're that good. And then also to just break the hearts of every Baltimore person in that stadium. And Baltimore wanted this so bad. Lamar wanted this so bad. And I think they were pressing. And I think you saw championship DNA come out of the last two games. I mean, to go to, to go to Buffalo where they're desperate for a title and break their hearts and then go to Baltimore and do the same thing. Like this is legendary stuff right now. I hope people, whether you like the chiefs or not, are, are taking a minute to realize this is a, this is a crazy run. And as compared to the last dynasty we saw in the NFL, the Patriots, this one's a lot more likable. So in that search and that quest by the Baltimore quarterback to finally get over that hump and win the AFC, would we call that the Lamar hunt? Correct. The Lamar Hunt trophy. I, I know, but I'm saying his, his quest for it would be the Lamar Hunt, right? Anyway. I forgot who I was I forgot who I was talking thank to, Jake. You, you got me. Hey, how close did you get to Taylor Swift? Oh, I was super close. I was like I could have reached out and touched her. Um I'll be honest, guys, one of my daughters is absolutely obsessed with her, so I was able to get a photo. I've been around a lot of famous athletes, right? The biggest ones, LeBron, all those guys and I've never felt the electricity and the buzz that comes with Taylor Swift. Like there's 40 to 50 people, hanger ons, photographers around her at all times. It was just staggering. Oh, I mean, she's just arguably right now. Close to her. I, people are going to hate when I say this. 
she may be non-politically speaking the most famous person on the planet right I, I can't think of anyone. I mean, maybe the president, but like. Well, that's Messi, what I mean, non politically, I mean, right? I mean, I. Yeah, 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 yeah. Messi? I, I mean. Yeah, Messi, LeBron, country, or, I, you know, yeah, way up there, right? It's, it, it was staggering. It, it was just staggering. I mean, I've. Just the. Just the eyeballs on her. You could feel it. It was, it was crazy, man. By the way, Zach Kiefer's the perfect person from the athletic to have on the show. Uh, just to get his reaction, not seismic, but we do have Eddie some news in the NFL, right? Uh, this just in, Zach. I'll allow you to react to it, only because it does have even since we're talking AFC some AFC implications. Ben Johnson has told a number of teams, including the Seattle Seahawks, that rather than continue overtures as the head coaching opening in different places, that he will be staying as the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. You surprised by that news, Zach? Yeah, I am. It felt like it was going to be Washington. It felt like it was going to be Washington, and it sounds like he wanted a lot in terms of a contract. But the other thing I'll point out is, in, in kind of relating it to the hometown team, you know, everyone's in a race to hire these offensive coordinators, and Ben Johnson's been terrific, right? And maybe he wants to stay in Detroit and get that Lombardi, and that's very noble. But we do not know because you're a great play caller that you're going to be a head coach. And I feel like this is going to play out over the next couple of years. Like it's not always going to be that next step. Like Sean McVay, that Kyle Shanahan, it's a lot. And a lot of coordinators and coaches have told me like when you get to the big seat, there's so much on your plate. It's a lot harder. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Ben Johnson, but to relay it to Indy, I think Indy hit at the right time and got the right guy. Look, we've only seen 17 games and it ended in disappointment, but I have no reservations in saying that it seems like Shane Steichen is not just a great OC and not just a great offensive line. That dude can coach the whole team. I feel like Indy's on the right page with that. And then secondly, when you look around the rest of the league, like we just don't know. You just don't know. So that's going to be fascinating to see um, what plays out. A little surprise he didn't go to Washington because they have the number two pick, which means very likely a quarterback, maybe not Caleb Williams, but you know, they get the rest of the field to pick from. That's a little surprising. If they didn't have that, it would make a little bit more sense. Dan Steiner's gone, so there's no ownership issues. Um, but he's going to be a hot coaching candidate in 2025 for sure. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Zach Kiefer, our guest from The Athletic, national football writer, national sports writer in general for The Athletic. Zach, you spent a lot of time covering the Colts. Our audience is primarily, obviously, interested and focused on the Colts. You just spent time following the path of an AFC championship team. So, seeing the way Kansas City goes about their business, seeing the way Miami was going about their business, or Buffalo where are the Colts? How close are they to being in that realm? And if you had to pick, what differs from the way the Colts locker room appears and the way they go about their business and the way, as you talked about, a Kansas City or a contending Super Bowl-level team does? Boy, Jake, do you have an hour. That could take a while. Um, some thoughts on the Colts. They're in an interesting spot. They've identified Anthony Richardson as the future. He's only played four or five games, so that is something to be determined. But the interesting part of where they're at, they've got a little bit of stability now, right, after so much instability the last couple of years. 
they have this window. They have this window with Anthony Richardson that lasts about four more years where he's on this rookie contract that affords you opportunities to go out and get other pieces that you won't be able to afford if you're paying him $50 million a year against the cap, which is what they want. You want that guy to get to that level to be one of those alpha quarterbacks that, that is the face of a franchise, the guys that are winning games this time of year. So to get there, how do you get there? I would really, really focus on the offensive line and make sure that's as good as it can possibly be. And I don't think Richardson's injuries this year were necessarily because of the offensive line. I don't think they were necessarily because he can't protect himself. They were kind of freak things. But I would sure that up. I don't need to talk about what happens when they don't fix the offensive line for a franchise quarterback in this city. Everybody knows you got to keep the weapons around him. I think the offensive unit needs to grow up together, right? Like Josh Downs is going to be here. You love to bring Pittman back if you can afford it. Alec Pierce made some steps. I think that's really important. Obviously, you want to get better on defense, and I know there's a lot of criticism of Gus Bradley, but I really want to get the offense right. I think that's the most important thing for an offensive coach. Like That's why they brought Shane Steigen here. Like Get the offense right. And it was really, it was really good in spots this year. I felt they got the most out of what they could with Gardner Minshew playing most of the game. So if you can get Richardson comfortable with the guys he's around and really build this up, and I mean like two or three years by adding some pieces, getting the line right, like having the right veterans around him, then you can start to think about maybe making a wild card round, an AFC title, a divisional round. And then when the second contract hits, then you have to rethink things and sort of do what Kansas City's done, which has just been unbelievably brilliant. Like Brett Feach is not getting the credit for really turning that Tyreek Hill trade into a lot of defensive talent, some really good corners. Trent McDuffie, Need made the play on Sunday. Like, they have really gotten better cheaply because they've hit on these draft picks. You have to do that. So, for me, I think the Colts really need to nail the offense. That's what wins in this league right now. That's what the avenue you've chosen to go down with Shane Steichen. Get this offense fixed. Find some pieces you can build around with him. And then Richardson's going to decide how far you go. Let's just let's just break. I mean, let's just be honest. Like, you're going to go as far as this kid goes. And so all that time on task with those pieces around him, I think that's the best way for the Colts to get a little bit better and a little bit more competitive in a very crowded AFC. Do you, Zach Kiefer, and look, there's no way for any of us to know this, right? But in your educated eye, you think Anthony Richardson's the guy. Yeah, I certainly saw a lot more to tell me that than the opposite. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good way of answering it, right? Because, you know, if you go back, Jake, like let's go back to the draft conversation real quick, like the inaccuracy, right? It was 53%. He didn't win a lot of games. Like I saw him process plays this season, and these are like the little things. Like the number one thing for me, just from covering a lot of quarterbacks over the years, is like is he a real dude? And by that I mean like do his teammates really believe in him? Like are they behind this guy? Or do they think he's just about all the other stuff, like the celebrity and the splash plays and posting his highlights? Like, I've been around both. And teammates want the real guy. And I have nothing to tell me that Anthony Richardson isn't about the real stuff. He really wants to be great. And he wants to do the stuff that's not as glamorous to make himself great. But the second thing is the processing. That was my biggest question. Um, and he, he wasn't shrinking in these big moments. He was processing, getting to his third read. Steichen can do the rest, man. Like Steichen can do so many things to make his life's his quarterback's life easy. And that's why Gardner mentioned partly why Gardner had so much success. I mean, look at all those routes that Steichen got guys wide open. Like that is such a simple thing 
for a quarterback and such a hard thing for an OC. And I think there's a lot more evidence to tell you Richardson could be the guy and could be really special in a way that scares the crap out of defensive coordinators. So you got to like that. Now you got to fit the pieces around him, and there's a lot more ways to go in terms of like, you know, how is he going to handle success? Because that's going to come with his skill set. How is he going to handle success? But, you know, that's a good problem to have, right? Getting there, getting some success, I think that's going to be good. I really, I really think he's the guy for Indy. National NFL writer for The Athletic, Zach Kiefer, is our guest. Zach, a couple rapid fires before a bigger question, and it's all lighthearted in regards to the spectacle that is the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. First off, are you going? Seven days, man. Say a prayer for me. It's going to be a long week. <laughs> I will indeed. Do you already have your uh, accommodation set up? Yeah, the media hotel is the Luxor. So not you know, I've never stayed in a media hotel that's also a casino because that could be trouble. <laughs> well, the reason I ask is because uh, there's a couple reports on Twitter right now that the rooms are now sold out at the Luxor and there's going to be additional spots at Excalibur. And this is just the media side of it in terms of just the craze and the chaos for covering a Super Bowl. It being in Las Vegas, a city that, again, was associated with so much and the thought that, oh, the sport will never be there, and we know we're well past those days, but how unique, how crazy is the spectacle itself going to be in Vegas compared to other Super Bowls do you anticipate? Yeah, it's going to be wild because there's so much of a tourist feel in Las Vegas. Like, in my trips to Las Vegas, I don't know about you guys in the past, like, 48 hours is enough for uh, me. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm going to do a whole week there. Now, again, the same, I'm going to be The same for covering a Super Bowl, Zach. 48 hours of covering a Super Bowl is enough, right? That's true, man. That's true. And, hey, man, I just pray for, like, short media shuttles to wherever the teams are practicing. Allegiant Stadium is obviously incredibly nice. But I have no idea how the – I mean, there's going to be just a mass of people in Vegas because they have all the hotels. There's going to be people gambling. There's going to be shows. Like – you know, for 50 years, gambling didn't exist in the NFL, right? Las Vegas didn't exist. And all of a sudden, it's like, give us the money. So this is going to be a spectacle, man. This is going to be chaos. And we've got two really good teams with two very, very ardent fan bases that are going to be there. So it's going to have a big game feel from the minute you arrive. You know, both teams have guys, Zach, that can make plays in space. You get them out in space, you know, McCaffrey, Debo, you know, I mean, I don't need to run them off for you. You know that. Does Indianapolis right now on their roster, if Richardson's able to do what we think he's going to be able to do, do they have the, the enough playmakers on their roster, or do they need to go out and still get themselves open space guys? Yeah, that's what I like, Jake. I, 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 that's exactly like on my list, is, is find a guy that can just get you some yak, just get tons of yard after the catch. Those guys are really hard to find. But in these games right now, this time of year, where every team is really good, every team is buttoned up, all the coordinators are really good scheming things up. Like, these are, these are mismatch games. Like, these are scheme games. Like, it's all about the matchup. And the Patriots did this for so long where they just completely created a new scheme for that week. And now you're seeing the Chiefs do it, especially defensively, just tremendous work. But – you look at the guys that make the plays that win these types of games. I mean, Kelsey is one of one, but you play zone coverage against Kelsey. I kept wondering, like, why are the Ravens playing zone right now? He's just going to find holes. And then they play man, and he beats a corner in the end zone. It was a perfect throw and a perfect catch. But, like, guys like that, like, in a perfect world, I'd go get the Colts like a stud first-round tight end. I would do that. If there is a tight end, look, they're down in the senior bowl right now in Mobile looking for these guys. But – 
Jelani Woods, this was kind of a lost season for him. You like what he did. I like what Granson did. He took a step up, but like guys that can separate and guys that can really like win the game in terms of these big five or six or ten game changing plays, like the hardest guys to find, I understand. That's what you need, and, and quarterbacks more and more these days, they love those tight ends who can do it in the middle of the field. They're slippery. They can get holes in zone coverage. Like T.Y. Hilton was so good late in his career at just slipping into space and in zone coverage, and he would make the catch. Like Those guys are really valuable, and they might make like the third and seven catch that no one talks about, but those are the kind of drives that keep, you know, they keep drives alive, and they, they win games this time of year because the margins are so small. I would love to see the Colts do that. I know the avenues to get there are very difficult, but look, I mean, if you can add a piece like that, it could change the trajectory of Anthony Richardson's career. Zach, I wanted to touch on this before we let you go. Zach Key for our guest. You had mentioned how cold it was in that Kansas City game. I know this is going to stun you, Zach. Every once in a while I think of something, and I think it's like really clear and obvious, and then I realize that no one else has thought of this. Um, and I'm just out of my mind, right? Was there any discussion about Miami? I don't know how it even would have taken place, but am I the only one that was curious to this? Like, why did Miami not, and maybe they did and I didn't hear about it. No, they didn't. Why did they not go up early, whether it be to Columbia, Missouri, or somewhere? I mean, there have to be in the NFL world coaches that had a connection to a university or something in the area would it, would it have been wiser for Miami to go up early and have some practices and acclimate, if you will, to the climate? Yeah, that's a fair question. And I was talking to I was talking to someone on the Chiefs staff, and so the Chiefs and the Bills just practiced outdoors. They just, like, do it. The coaches want the mental strength and all that. But I think one of the reasons, Jake, is it was only, like, 30 degrees in Kansas City up until, like, Thursday. So, like, that's fine. That's, like, livable, Right. And then on Friday, it dipped to, like, zero. And then Saturday, it was, like, obviously negative 20 with the wind chill at kickoff. Like, Miami couldn't really do anything to simulate that. Partly, that's not Miami's fault. But Kansas City, look, I mean, and I know body language is one thing, but, like, Travis Kelsey ran out in the field and was jumping around and hollering without sleeves, and I'm like, this guy's crazy. And the first first down he caught, he was doing the same thing. And, like, they were embracing it. And I talked to a someone on the Chiefs in the Chiefs building, and he's like, look, if you're thinking about the cold, you're not, you're not going to be playing your best football. And I looked over in the Chiefs sideline, and they're all standing up, and they're all celebrating. And I looked at the Dolphins sideline, and they're all sitting on the benches with the hand warmers and the heaters. And look, yeah, I would probably be doing the same thing, man. It was unbelievably cold. Like, I was afraid my car wasn't going to start when I went to it at 2.30 in the morning after following my story. But, yeah, the Dolphins, I mean, I just feel like they were done from the start mentally. And then the Chiefs just played great as well. And, I mean, it's not like Kansas City's Chiefs – it's not like the Chiefs players are all guys that grew up in Kansas City, right? I mean, like, we laugh no. about that because it's like, look, they're NFL guys. Half of them probably played at Florida State, Florida, Clemson, LSU, whatever. But still – like, Miami. That's what I mean, right? So, like – but still you would just think that, like, you would at least go – when you're living and practicing all week in Miami, I don't – I mean, even – I don't care if you're from Indianapolis. You spend a week in Miami and you come back and it's 20 below, like – that's, I mean, that hits you, man. And like, you got to hit people. I just think, I was like, why would they not have done that? I, maybe it's just tangibly, like logistically a nightmare to do. I Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, they brought like a lot more equipment. I know that. And, and you try to do everything you can from a logistical standpoint. I'm talking about the Dolphins, just to, just to be prepared. But like, dude, like, and I'm wearing every layer I've got. And 
the press box was freezing. Like the press box is heated and it's still freezing. But like when you are outside, it was like, it was jarring. Like you can practice in 30 degrees. You can practice in zero. Like it was absolutely jarring to be on the field. And I, I was looking at the field. I'm like, I wouldn't want to kick a football. I wouldn't want to, like, it was crazy. And the Chiefs kind of just embraced it. And But you could tell. I mean, Mahomes' balls were zipping through that cold air. You know, Tua's were not. I mean, there's, those little things added up over the course of the night. And the Chiefs, the mental toughness, that championship DNA, like I really thought that was a real thing that night. Exactly. For some reason, you can't find the Luxor. You know, it's the one that looks like a pyramid. Well, apparently they've, <laughs> they've, they've upped the ante now because there's going to be a big, like, Dorito, like, basically like a Dorito chip on one side of the hotel. So yeah, yeah. if you if you pass the nacho cheese, you've gone too far, okay? The, the real question is, is all right, straw pull, how much money am I going to lose? Less than five in, like, the tables. If I get to, like, play a little blackjack, like, less than 500, more than 500, Enough to where my wife tells me not to come home. It so depends on how much you're allowed to lose, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And do you have and the, the good thing is I got a ton of work to do. Do you have the willpower if you hit big to walk away right then? That's that's, that's the real the hardest, question. That's the hardest thing in the world, Jake. I mean, as our as our buddy Mike Chappell always said, you know, they don't tear casinos down; they keep building more. <laughs> like, there's a reason that they keep building yep. more casinos. Hey, will you get a chance? I know Hagen's going to try to do this, I think, and I know you're going to be busy, um, and it may not even be your wheelhouse from the band standpoint, but I'm going two weeks after the Super Bowl to the Sphere to see you two. Is that in your on your radar at all? Oh, that would be awesome. Like, I, I had a friend do that, and he showed me the video, and it, it just blew my mind. Like, that would be incredible. Now, Super Bowl week, I can't imagine the prices the, they're going to Here's start. the thing. It's weird. The tickets right now on StubHub are less than what – um, what I had to pay for two weeks after that, I, which is so weird. I mean, U2 is playing in Vegas next week? So U2 has residency at the Sphere. Okay, so it's continuing. Okay. Correct. So wow. they, they do like it's every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I think. And That's unbelievable. I, you know, I mean, it's not inexpensive. I will tell you that. It's not inexpensive. But yeah. the tickets right now for the Saturday before the Super Bowl, the night before the Super Bowl, are less than they are like the ones that I had to buy for the 24th, which is weird, but – that's wild. That'd yeah. be an unbelievable show. That'd yeah. be like bucket list stuff. Yeah, it'd be cool for sure. But you know what? A Super Bowl out there is pretty darn cool. Zach, we've kept you probably way longer than you anticipated, so I do appreciate it. What next is upcoming for you other than Super Bowl coverage? Any other cool features that uh, you want to let people know about? Yeah, this is actually a cool one. Um, when the Combine rolls into town in a couple of weeks, I've got, I, I think it's the most inspiring story in the entire NFL draft. A, a player was, he's probably going to go third or fourth round, but uh, essentially abandoned as a child. He was a ward of the state of California when he was eight years old. He was homeless when he was 12. And it's just an unbelievable, remarkable story. There's some people in his life that helped him. And he'll be an NFL draft prospect in a couple of weeks, and he'll be an NFL player next season. And it's just, it's just remarkable. It's one of those stories that just – it's so little about sports and so much about people being good. And it's, it's one of those stories that makes me love my job. Zach, somebody just asked if you're related to LN coach Jack Kiefer. I know it's not your dad, but are you related to him? I'm not, but I've heard that about a thousand times growing up in Indianapolis, so I'm not related to Jack. All right, well, two good guys, both of you guys. Zach, appreciate it. Enjoy Vegas, all right? Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, Zach Kiefer from The Athletic joining us on the program. Speaking of- Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Pro Bowlers, a guy who just found out he is going to be one this year, joins us on the program talking about the Colts center, Ryan Kelly, who, along with DeForest Buckner, is added to the Pro Bowl list. Ryan, first off, man, that is short notice for you to join us, so we are very appreciative of that, and congratulations. Oh, anything for you guys, man. I appreciate you guys uh, <laughs> supporting me and doing all these things, so it's a big uh, it's a big honor and obviously one that uh, doesn't come with final place with some great players around me, so I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on this afternoon. Yeah, I'm curious of this before we kind of go back and look at your year You know, with the Pro Bowl. We were just discussing this. I mean, I still think of, Ryan, I'm still old enough where I think of the Pro Bowl as like, you know, in Hawaii and everything else. And I know it's changed, but how much, like, what does the, the, the period, you know, it's not your first Pro Bowl. So, you know, what all goes into it, I guess, once you arrive and how much do you kind of take advantage to maybe getting to know and being around other guys that you might not know, but you compete against? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's probably the biggest takeaway from the entire week is um, you know meeting other other players and meeting their families, and it's really just a cool event that the NFL puts on. I mean, they they put a lot of resources into it to make it a great experience for your family, and um, obviously, they got a bunch of my family going down, and um, that's really kind of the fun part about it. I mean, the game, you know, when I got into it, my first role was nineteen. Um, you know, that game, you know, for the, those three years after that, just kind of went downhill. And I think guys just realized that the risk. You know, playing a game after the season, after you know, seventeen games, um, is just is just too much, right? So I think the flag football game was kind of a, a kind of a rebirth of the Pro Bowl to kind of make it fun and competitive for guys, but also you know, not not take the injury to risk. So um, it's just it's just a fun time to be around. I mean, we'll, we'll have our twin boys there. We'll take them to Disney, um, and then we'll you know we do Universal. We do the whole thing. So it's kind of like being a kid, um, still something to play for. So you still get paid if you win versus if you lose, and. Um, it's still a big deal, but uh, it's certainly a really just a really fun event for family and friends. Cold Center Ryan Kelly is our guest. Ryan, I apologize if this is a dumb question, but but from afar as a consumer of the sport, not being out there a part of it, but being a viewer and being a younger viewer at that, my thought has always been that well, to players all pro and being a part of like you were as a second teamer in 2020 is what really gets players excited when they get that nod in terms of postseason or end of the regular season awards that you can earn I know you touched on the Pro Bowl a little bit there but my perception has always been that well the Pro Bowl doesn't really mean as much when you get that call or you get that opportunity is that a misnomer does does it feel just the same is it just as cool to get that type of recognition um yeah I wouldn't say that the I mean the Associated Press is votes on the all-pro so it's like you know it's not I think one of the one of the best things that's ever happened from this has been the, the NFL PA All Pro because it's a truly an award that's given to players that's voted strictly 100% by players. Uh, I think the you know the foundation of that and the, and the birth of that has really been kind of a big big deal. Um, not that the Pro Bowl or the All Pro doesn't mean anything. I mean I think it's a huge accomplishment for um, to be nominated for it, and certainly it's not just fan vote that goes into Pro Bowl. I mean there's a there's a player vote in that too. Um, so you know I think it is it's. It's one of those things. It's like, yeah, you have to, you make one, and it becomes a little bit easier to make them, you know. But um, obviously, you know, the players still vote in that, and it still still definitely counts. And um, it's any, any award to, that showcases a year that you had um, certainly is a big deal. But uh, I think if like you asked anybody 
that got the award, um, they know that they wouldn't be there without the players around them. Ryan, I want to go back to Ryan Kelly's our guest, who is going to be along with the Forrest Buckner now headed to the Pro Bowl representing the Colts. Um, I want to go back to when I was doing the morning. The last time that you and I talked, I wouldn't expect you to remember this, but I was doing the morning show with Kevin Bowen, and we were at Grand Park. And you came on with us, and I thought you were really honest and vulnerable, quite frankly, and just talking about you know the challenges that you had overcome in terms of the you know the injuries that you were overcoming the personal stuff very understandably that that just got you down as a player and then now here we are talking about you going to the pro bowl um that journey itself does this feel like an exhale if you will of okay i'm back now and i'm i'm comfortable again yeah i mean i think i, I never like lost that um the ability to, to know that I could play in this league and play at a very high level. Uh, I think it was certainly like the last time we talked, a lot of, um, you know, outside factors that were really weighing. I mean, it just takes a toll on you after a while, right? I mean, a, you know, a terrible 22 season, a lot of things going on. Lose my daughter the year before, still dealing with that last year. Um, and, and to come back and, you know, I think it just, you know, we, my wife and I never lost our faith in God that he would, you know, ultimately bless us and even, you know, when I talked to you, my boys were still in the NICU that nobody knew about, right? But I knew that they were here. Um, and so I think it's amazing, you know, what, what a year can change, right? I mean, just just, a, just an entire calendar year and how much better um, and how different your life can be. So I think that uh, I wouldn't say it's like I'm back, you know. It's just like, you know, every year becomes harder, right? You get older, you get more expensive. Um, but this is the most fun I've had playing football, and I think it was – you know, I had two boy, two twin boys at home. You know, we're in a new house. My wife is here. She's healthy. Um, you know, we have a new coaching staff. And um, just kind of like that, that reset that I needed. Um, and I really just love this year. I and mean, I hate how it ended. But um, just over for, you know, one calendar year, how much more fun you can have and how much, you know, turning 30 and all these things, right, it doesn't matter because, you know, we're having fun. We're being competitive. Uh, we're all back to playing really well. And I think it's just a, it's a great time. You know, I think, Ryan, people find, even people that are older than athletes, people find inspiration in sports, right, and in their favorite team or their favorite player. For for somebody that's listening right now that's just going through a tough time, you know, that's just in a funk or work's not going as they thought or family or whatever it might be, um, you know, I think people are inspired by you and, and the things that you're talking about. What would you say to him? What was the thing? Maybe it's your faith, right? Maybe it's your wife. What, what what was the thing that you were able to to reach down and find that is there for everyone? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's that's a the tough question because I mean, in order to kind of come to the other side of the fire, you got to go through hell first, and there was no, there was certainly a ton of that, you know, and there was no. You know, it was having to go back and face the same people that I left the building on that Wednesday, you know, in December of 21, um, you know, going back in and facing them again, knowing the things that had just transpired in the last two weeks, right? Like, there was all these steps we had to go through. We had to go through a year of not being able to get pregnant when all we wanted was to bring our daughter back, but we couldn't. We wanted to have another one, and we couldn't. Um, And so everybody's situation is different. I mean, and and for me – you know, I found an outlet through fishing or, you know, that was just by myself, right? Like things that I could just cope with and I, and I could sit there for 30 minutes or an hour and I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. I could be in my own thoughts, mindlessly fishing, right? And that was for me, that was the biggest thing. And um, I think ultimately, you know, if I had never, you know, to piggyback on that, if I had never opened up 
um, to my wife. And if we had never saw, you know, this, this amazing therapist that talked about our grief and the differences between men and women. I mean, you know, I, I don't grieve the same way as my wife does. And, um, you know, when we complicate each other's grief, it only makes things worse. And so I think that, you know, seeking some kind of, uh, whether it's, you know, reading books on there, there's tons of information on this. Um, and we just, you know, we were so dark and deep that we didn't understand how to get information. Right. And I think that was the hardest part is us complicating each other's grief. And so I think having an outlet and then also understanding that, um, you, you both need each other's space, but you also need to be a support system for each other, I think is, um, the hardest part. And I'm speaking for just my circumstance and my wife, but, um, you know, finding an outlet, I think, is, is overall, I know it's kind of a long-winded answer, but finding an outlet, you know, an outlet that's positive, uh, that makes you happy, or that takes your mind away from something just for, even if it's 30 minutes, I think is, is super important. I think it's great stuff. I think it's great advice, uh, and I appreciate it. I wanted to ask you about a couple of your teammates just, you know, in the in the past season and kind of learning them as well, right? A guy that I've been impressed with because um, I really think that he has progressed and looks like he might be, you know, a guy that's going to be here a while. I know he's two to the left of you, but you would know because you're in the room with him. Um, take me through the maturity and the arrival of Bernard Ryman. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, the guy gets here two years ago and, um, you know, kind of a, a rotating position at that position at the time, you know, after Costanzo had left and Eric Fisher had left. But, um, you know, I got to give the guy a lot of credit. I mean, uh, you know, I came in as a rookie and played every game at center. It's a little different when you're out there on the edge and it's pretty lonely out there, you know, and I think that, um, you know, certainly his rookie year, you know, probably beat himself down pretty good. Um, and then, you know, after last year, he comes back, works his ass off all off season to, to gain weight, to get stronger, uh, to work on his fundamentals and his craft. And um, I think that if you, you know, if you've been inside the building, you understand how much he cares. I think that that's what you can say from, across the board, you know, all five guys is that there's not, there's no doubt that these guys care about what they do and they care about playing well for their team, playing well for each other. Um, and I can't say enough about him because he's done the same thing. I mean, just every day finding ways to study great tackles or to figure out ways to get better. Um, and then if he didn't have a great game, he's going to find out a way to have another great game after that. So I think that the, the development of him is just continuing to keep rising. What about the dynamic of, Ryan Kelly is our guest, by the way, the Colts center. You know, a guy that you'd be the best one to ask because you, you would have to work the closest with both of them. Um, can you take me through the dynamic of the the things that were there for Anthony Richardson? We all wanted to see Anthony Richardson play. But once he got hurt, I guess the, the tools that were there for him to learn, and that includes Gardner Minshew. What, can you, what light can you shed on the relationship between those two and the way that Gardner Minshew might have been tutoring, maybe without even knowing it, Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for, you know, I was in the room every day with him, but I know that, you know, speaking on behalf of Gardner when he got here in April, I mean, the guy, you know, probably assumed that we were going to draft somebody pretty high as a quarterback position, right? But it never deterred him from um, going out there, you know, even even all the way through OTAs and into training camp, really, um, you know, not know if he's going to be a starter or not, but he really prepared and, and made relationships, you know, organically with his players um, that really felt like he was going to be the starter, right? And I think that the true test of a great pro is, you know, he ends up, you know, getting second place, right? Anthony goes out there and has a great um, beginning of the season, some ups and downs, but for the most part, I mean, I think he showed off what he could do with his arms and his legs. And then Gardner goes in there and, you know, next man up, right? And he plays the rest of the season and plays really well. 
Um, and so I think that, you know, Anthony's obviously a young guy, just turned 21. Uh, I think, I think for him having a guy that's filled in that role so well, um, you know, I think that Gardner also understands that, you know, he's not, you know, he's not trying to tell this guy everything he needs to know. Right. I think it's just like, it's pieces here and there. It's like nuggets over time that, that end up being a lot of information at the end of the year. And I think Anthony, you know, he was away for a little bit, getting his, his surgery done. But when he came back, I think he, you know, he also had an amazing quarterback coach. He had Sam Ellinger in there. He had Jim Bob Cooter. He had Shane Steichen. So I think you add all those things up, and I'm sure it was a ton of information, you know, kind of like drinking from a fire hose, just like when he first went in there. But um, I know he'll be better off next year for it. Cold Center Ryan Kelly is our guest. Ryan, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but you and your wife, Emma, give birth to your two twin boys and Ford and Duke this past summer, so they'll be one around June. So maybe it's not pertinent for this go around, but you're going to Orlando for the Pro Bowl. And of course, Disney World's there. So I want to weigh you in on a conversation I've had with my sister in law uh, for backstory, her sons, what they were before the age of three, which is when it's free to get into Disney World for kids. She would take them, and it's like, well, are they really going to remember that when they're so young? Where do you stand on it? If you had the opportunity to go take Ford and Duke and you and Emma go to Disney World, are you going before three or after three years old? Uh, is it paid for or not paid for? Uh, I mean, I would assume you're, you're, <laughs> you're you are you are paying for it yourself. But again, if you go before age three for them, the kids are free. Okay. Uh, well, we're not paying for it at all, which is nice. <laughs> the, 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 the NFL is paying right, for it this right. year, but. Um, no, I mean, I think if we were paying for it ourselves, we'd wait till after three, just cause I'm not, I'm not the biggest Disney guy, but it is going to be a fun experience with them because, you know, it, it, even like things they won't remember. Right. I mean, it's just, it is fun to be, um, just to see their facial expressions. If they see Mickey or something, right. Like they, they're kind of getting to that stage now where they smile a lot and they can, they can track, they can follow with their eyes. And so, um, like everybody says, right. It's just more fun when you have kids, you just bring them along with you. Um, so that way you get to do things too. So, uh, it'll be a good time. Ryan, since the season ended and in between the time that the season ended and you became a pro bowler, and by the way, speaking of that high Disney ticket, my understanding is uh, you get a little juice for making the pro bowl. So congratulations. That's might be enough for a parking pass at Disney. Um, But your head coach from college, Nick Saban announced his retirement. Did that surprise you? What was your overall reaction? And just when you look back at his contribution to college football, you know, I, I think it surprised me at first, and then I think as you like think about the changes of college football now, I mean, there's not a better recruiter than Nick Saban in the past two decades, three decades, however long he's been in college, right? I think it's the amount of hours he puts into it demands of his staff to get these players from the time that they're young and, and maybe a freshman or sophomore to get them to college and then to develop them in, in two or three years, become a starter, go to the NFL, right? That's kind of the pipeline that he has mastered and he mastered for so long. I think that the new college format where if you just can just transfer whenever you want I think it just doesn't make sense anymore so I'm sure being 72 being grandpa you know he's probably like I'm just done with this like it doesn't make sense anymore for me right um so at first it surprised me and then I'm like I get it man I mean the guy loves playing off um it is going to be surprising to me because the guy cannot sit still uh, for as long as I've known him um so we'll see how that goes I'm sure he'll stay busy in some capacity but um just talking to local porters, um, been reached out to a couple of times since then, just asking about funny stories or recruiting, uh, you know, what made him so special. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting that my wife reminds me all the time is, you know, when you're in it and you play for him, um, you don't think anything of it, right? You just, those are the guys you knew, you knew him very well. It was something that you lived. It was part of your life. Um, and then you look back on it and you're like, oh my God, you know, like, I mean, 
the guy had a national champion. I mean, if you were there since 2007, you had a national championship with every year for, you know, whatever it is. Right. Guy, the guy had 12 win seasons, you know, every single year since he's been there almost. So, um, I mean, you can go on and on. I mean, the, the, the financial impact he had on that city, right? The the university expansion, all because of one hire, uh, I think is amazing. And I, but I think that one of the most impactful things is, you know, seeing how many guys' lives he's changed, guys who had no future, guys who had kicked off the team that he ultimately gave a second chance to when nobody wanted him to. Um, those guys are doing well today. So, um, you know, you can look at X's and O's and you can look at all the stats and you can look at everything he's done football-wise. And I think that what – he gets missed a lot of times is the, the amount of, um, you know, progress he's made for families just because uh, he cared about them and he cared about his players. Did you grow up a Reds fan, by the way? Oh, yeah. Still diehard Red fans to say. I was going to say, like, I, 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 every year I think, like, okay, here we go. Like, this is going to be the year finally. You know, I was a senior in high school and they won their last World Series, right? So I've been chasing the high forever. Yeah. Uh, is this the year, Ryan? I mean, is this the year? You know, my dad actually played high school baseball with Todd Bensinger, who was on the uh, Big Red Machine. So, nice. small world. But, um, you know, I, I hope it is. Uh, I mean, just talk about what an amazing ballpark. I mean, great American ballpark in the summertime, right on the river. Um, I mean, that's that's got to be a top five event. I mean, it's just a beautiful place. Uh, I hope it is. You know, Vado's gone. Things are a lot changing. Um, but, I mean, I think we, we my wife and I went last year, and it was – a really funny time, I and mean, they, they were really starting to take off. Um, but you know, the, you know, the build up to the Red season is, is unlike any other in any other MLB team. So I, mean, I think the Reds, the Cincinnati faithful, get excited. Hopefully, this year we'll get let down. Well, you got the best of both worlds because if you're a Reds fan, right about the time they get eliminated, you got to turn around and start focusing on work anyway, right? So, so, so the <laughs> exactly. heartache's easy, right? <laughs> that is uh, precisely right, man. That's right. And it is, uh, it's a good time. Every time we go down there, we try to get back there as much as we can. Well, Ryan, we appreciate the time. Congratulations again on the Pro Bowl, and enjoy it. Enjoy it with your sons as well. And uh, just one time when you're sitting there and you're kind of overseeing everything, think about where you've been from you know a couple of years ago to now and everything you overcame, and great advice for other people as well, and I hope the fish are biting for you. All right, guys. I appreciate you. You guys have a good, way, good afternoon. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Ryan Kelly of – the Indianapolis Colts, Center for the Colts, and, of course, product of Cincinnati and then Alabama.